0: Welcome to Aging Intelligently, where we walk with you down the path of getting older as together we climb those obstacles that seem insurmountable. Information and preparation can change your health and mentality about aging. Certified advanced practitioner of elder law, attorney Robert W. Haley and his wife, Cricket, a certified elder care manager, yoga teacher, and master's figure competitor, share their journey from fat to fabulous. Robert and Cricket discuss their research, personal experience, and interview other experts in the fields of elder law, care management, finance, nutrition, fitness, and even travel, so you too can be holistically well and secure wherever life may lead you. Now, let's continue our journey.
1: Welcome to Aging Intelligently. Today, we're going to talk about the perils of DIY estate planning. Today, we're going to address what happens when people come in and they have already tried to apply for Medicaid themselves or they are trying to move assets or uh, something like that because somebody is going into a nursing home and they're trying to qualify. So to qualify for Medicaid, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, but to qualify for Medicaid, you have to be under $2,000 in your name. Right. Right. For the applicant. For the applicant. So in a married couple, we can sometimes move assets into the spouse's name, but there are limitations to doing that. You can't just randomly decide, I'm going to move all my assets to my spouse and still get my my wife on Medicaid. There's a lot to it. That's right. And
0: some people... Uh, go to the Department of Social Services in Virginia and apply for Medicaid on their own. And they go through the application process and they will sometimes be successful in getting their spouse on Medicaid. But a lot of times that may be after a spin down and that spin down could have been something that we could have helped them avoid.
1: Right. And DSS is not going to give you any advice whatsoever about how to avoid a spin down. That is what they are after is that spin down, right. right?
0: Remember, an eligibility worker is there to assess eligibility. They're not there to practice law. They're not there to tell you you could do this and save money or you could do that and save money. They won't uh, even
1: like give out our uh Information really, right. you know, I think that's even like a conflict for them to refer you to an attorney. Right. But there's nobody in Virginia that does estate asset protection planning towards an estate in regard to Medicaid, other than an attorney. You can't get this from a CPA or a financial planner or anything. It's got to be through an attorney. Is that, that correct?
0: That's right. So let's look at the example. If somebody went on their own to social services and they reported. Uh, countable assets in the amount of $150,000, okay? The result from eligibility would be spouse in the home, the community spouse, we're going to let you keep $75,000. Now, and we'll put your spouse on Medicaid after you spend $75,000 because that's that's the amount.
1: That they divide they, it equally. Right,
0: the amount up to a minimum and a mm-hmm. maximum. And that they come up with the amount that the community spouse is able to keep, right? And the other so is part on of a spend down.
1: The whole skew of things are you may be spending down two thirds of your total right. assets, right? If you, if you have allowed. a lot, that's yeah. a,
0: that's exactly right. And that's what uh, elder law and uh, an elder law attorney and asset protection can do. We can help you avoid the spend down in a married couple situation for the most part. Um, so when we hear things, well, I got my wife on Medicaid myself. My first question is always, how much did you spend down? Uh, because if they had any kind of assets over $30,000, there was a spend down. So in that case, the do it yourself Medicaid application cost you money in the long run because you did a spend down that was unnecessary.
1: Right. And in a married couple, there is no spend down that is necessary. Correct.
0: Uh, for the most part, that's exactly right. We may have to liquidate assets or sell some things, but once they they turn into cash, then usually we, we can protect those as, as part of the, the asset protection plan.
1: Right. And in a, a single person, we can save 40% less than half of, an asset yes, we, of their total assets for a single person who's not married.
0: Right. We tell them uh, for a single person situation, uh, we usually try applying to protect roughly Medicaid. half, right? roughly applying half, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. It's, it's, it's mainly dependent on what their income is. Right. If they have more income, then we're able to save more of the assets.
1: And if they have like, if they have millions of dollars, it's a whole different plan. Yeah.
0: If you have over than, a million dollars, you're not applying for Medicaid.
1: Right. But still there's like, there's ways that we could, um, shelter, the well, vast would, majority of it do like a five-year look at well, a five-year uh, five-year trust. trust. That's exactly right. Something we would like that. you would
0: minimize the risk of the the person living longer than five years in the nursing home. So we would want to fund a revocable trust with five years worth of money, and then put everything else into an asset protection trust. So if by some chance they did outlive the five-year money, then they would be eligible for Medicaid. That's right. OK, so one of the other things that that I if somebody tells me they got uh, they got their spouse on Medicaid by themselves, I will ask them, did you have to sell any insurance policies? No, Be- because you if mean you sell have- or
1: liquidate,
0: liquidate, well, that's what I mean, liquidate. If you have a cash value insurance policy, which is whole life, variable life insurance policies that build up cash over time. The Medicaid regulations assume that cash is available to you to spend on your care. So as part of an elder lawyer's job when they're assessing an asset protection plan, uh, we're gonna look at what's the cash value of the policy versus what's the death benefit. If I have a policy that has a cash value of $20,000 and a death benefit of $100,000, if I can save that policy, I just saved your family 80 grand. So just because the worker would say, this is accountable asset, you need to liquidate the policy. Yeah, they
1: would just say liquidate it. Right.
0: We try to protect the policy as part of what the spouse can keep. And there are different ways you can do that by transferring ownership or, or keeping it as part of your CSRA, the Community Spouse Resource Allowance. But again, The elder law attorney knows this. He has that knowledge to look and say, "I need to protect this policy." Now, if the death benefit and the cash value are roughly the same, then it's just you know a decision by the family: do you want to keep it? Do you want to sell it? There's nothing really lost. But when you lose eighty thousand dollars worth of death benefit, that's a terrible result. You want to try to protect that policy at all costs. So again. DIY is not going to make that happen. That prop, that policy is probably going to be liquidated and you've just said goodbye to $80,000 in death benefit.
1: But there are even smaller issues like with uh, insurance that are like a $10,000 policy that is in their name and it's a $10,000 cash benefit or or something like that it might be a ten thousand dollar death benefit or maybe you only get seven hundred dollars out of it. But there are things that you can do besides just liquidating, right? Correct. For that's any right. size insurance policy. Right.
0: That's one of the things that we are going to evaluate as part of as part of putting together an asset protection. But plan. if you're
1: working through DSS, then they're just going to say liquidate it. Right. If it's, in, it's if it's in that person's name that's applying they just tell you, or even if it's not me. in the
0: person's name, it it's still a countable yeah. asset.
1: Well, so sometimes. it has
0: to be dealt with, and and the do it yourselfer may not know that they can keep it as part of their spousal allowance.
1: Right, and and sometimes though people have like insurance policies that they've taken out for their children
0: that they are still the owners. That
1: they're still the owners of, and so then they're like, well, you got to cash it. You know, those things sometimes get to be issues as well. So, what about an IRA?
0: Well, a lot of times, if the IRA is in the name of the Medicaid applicant, you will have to liquidate that. But on occasion, there there are situations that come up where you don't want that to happen. And I think the last one that we did this on was the nursing home spouse was much older than the community spouse. And so in that case, we utilized a technique called name on the check rule, which really doesn't mean anything to our listeners, but it's a technique where we can protect that IRA by by taking advantage of it. I think, actually, I was the first elder law attorney in Virginia that successfully did that. Uh, And since I know other, other attorneys throughout the state have used that strategy. So again, a lot of times an IRA has to be liquidated you have to take the tax hit, but you don't always have to. And so once again, that's something that the elder lawyer, the asset protection specialist is going to look at where DSS is just going to say your over assets liquidate. Right. So there's no analysis. It's just cut and dry. This is how much money you have You have to spend it or your your spouse is not going to get on Medicare.
1: And there have certainly been cases where we've had people who liquidated their IRAs and then they come back later next year (laughs) and go, uh, I received a tax bill for like $20,000.
0: Right. A lot of people don't know to have the taxes withheld when they liquidate. And so that's one of the things we do. We always make sure that taxes are withheld from those liquidations that hopefully will pay for the tax when the tax return has to be filed at the end of the year, that there's no more money that has to be spent. Because if you liquidate without doing the taxes, just like you said, then you're either going to spend it or you're going to have it. And then all the tax is going to come due. And if you've spent it, where's that tax money going to come from?
1: Yeah. And you don't want to be in debt to the IRS IRS for sure. So... I think people are so focused a lot of times on just getting the approval for Medicaid that they forget all of the extraneous things that can happen. They're not thinking about the well spouse, the person that is still living that they're moving the assets to. What are some of the things that they forget to handle that then can come back and bite them?
0: Well, you know, it, it is true. Obviously, a couple is going through a trying time because now they have a spouse in the nursing home, so they have so much on their mind to begin with. It's like the Medicaid coverage is secondary and they may be letting a social worker at the nursing home help them with that. Or, you know, it's, it's just like after a funeral, you're not, you're not thinking about an estate administration right then you've got other things on your mind, right. planning They're thinking about stuff.
1: mom if mm-hmm. she's the one in the nursing home. Right. And then the Medicaid application is secondary is what you're saying that they're trying to get it done, but they really don't, aren't focused on, they don't understand the process and they're in a panic. And they
0: don't know we're here. Yeah. They don't know that elder law attorneys throughout the state can help them. Yeah. Uh, if they just, just reach out for that help. So, we just had a, uh, a case not too long ago. Well, it just came in the last month probably where the well spouse, the community spouse happened to die before his spouse in the nursing home that he had got on on Medicaid. So
1: she's on Medicaid, she's taken care of and they thought they were done. Right. And so then he died and right. this happens a lot.
0: Well, that's what I tell people. You know, just getting you on Medicaid is half the job. I've done my job as an asset protection specialist, and we've protected the assets. Now we have to go the next step to make sure we continue to protect the assets just in case the community spouse dies first. So in the example that that I was speaking of that we just came in, the community spouse did not take care of the property. When you apply for Medicaid for a spouse in a married couple situation and they're approved, there opens up a window where you can now get anything that's left in the nursing home spouse's name, get their name off. The most obvious is get their name off the deed. The house. Right. So you want to do a deed from husband and wife to the community spouse. So that gets their name off of it and that gets rid of that survivorship clause.
1: But that's not where it ends.
0: Right. Because in this case, <laughs> that's step in, one. in this case, community spouse died, had not changed the will. The nursing home spouse has now inherited a house, right. which will within six months be put up for sale because it wasn't protected. Same thing with the money. The community spouse didn't change his will.
1: And, of course, they left everything to each other to when they did spouse. their original will. Correct.
0: So, when, so if you don't go the extra step of changing the deed and updating your wills.
1: And changing if, any other beneficiary or pay, payable on deaths right. or anything else.
0: If you don't do that, if you happen to pass first, as unlikely as it might be, your spouse in the nursing home just inherited everything, which now all of my asset protection was down the tubes.
1: Because, well, they just reversed it all.
0: Right, because right. now it's all going to be subject to spin down and the property will be subject to sell. Just getting you on Medicaid or just getting a successful Medicaid application, the job is not over. You've got to take the extra step to keep protecting it. And you cannot disinherit a spouse. So if some do-it-yourselfer says, well, I know what to do. I'll change my will and take my wife off of it or spouse off of it. If you do that-, that doesn't work. No, Medicaid then will make the the nursing home spouse claim their statutory share under the law, the the pertinent law of your state.
1: Which is a third, right?
0: Which is up to a third, and maybe some on top of that if they make you file the statutory allowances that are due for a spouse too. Even that do-it-yourself doesn't get it done. You have to protect it in a certain way using a special needs trust and things like that. So all that asset protection... uh, keeps going even if you happen if the community spouse happens to die prematurely. But
1: just moving the deed out of that person's name is not the end of it. Um I I just wanna to revisit that deed because I think a lot of a lot of attorneys are not great at deed. I, I hate to put that out there and I'm sorry if I offend somebody. You know you need to have somebody who understands deeds in regard to asset protection, not just real estate. This is a whole other podcast which we can get into but we had one person one time who gifted her house to her son. Okay, There was a daughter as well. She gifted her house outright to her son. She didn't do a life estate. She didn't think about the daughter, didn't you know use a whatever, trust. didn't use a trust, didn't use an elder law attorney at all, but had somebody do that. Just outright gift to the son. The son then actually did a no trespassing for the daughter. So mom's living in a house she doesn't own at all. And the son doesn't like the sister. And so he then makes a no trespassing for her to not be allowed on the property. And mom had no say so whatsoever.
0: Right. It It wasn't her property.
1: It wasn't her property anymore. And we've also
0: seen the situation uh, here in our small area of Virginia, where that has been happened. A mother deeded property to the son. And after a while, the son evicted her because it wasn't her property anymore.
1: Wow. So <laughs> that's the difference
0: between just a lawyer, maybe a real estate lawyer or any lawyer that thinks they can do a deed and an elder law attorney, because I get that a lot like virtually everybody that comes in at some point in the consultation will say, and I want to put the property in my child's name and I'll go, no, you don't. There's, there's a way you can do that to protect you. Our overriding concern is to protect the elder.
1: Yeah. Not just leave it to the children who then can take advantage of them.
0: And there are ways you can do that through certain deeds. You can do that through a trust. There are many ways to get the property out of your name for Medicaid eligibility purposes, but not to put you at risk by you no longer owning your property. Uh, a thing we also always get uh, when we do seminars, there's always somebody that comes up and they'll go, I'm just gonna put everything in my child's name, money, everything.
1: And, and banks are bad about that. Banks yeah. are, are one of the first to say, well, they the teller told me to just put my daughter's name on my account. Right. And then I don't need a power of attorney.
0: Right. Well, you That's,
1: just gave half that account to her.
0: Well, technically, the, the daughter, if they did that, could go in and empty the account. Yeah. What's even worse is they just give all the money to their child and their name is known it nowhere. Now, your child could be the most honest child in the world.
1: Yeah, and they can say, this is mom's money. It's got my name on it, but this is mom's money. They can be very respectful and, and understand that and be following the family rules. But in reality,
0: honest children can get sued. Honest children can get in car wrecks. Honest children can get divorced. And when they're in a deposition and a lawyer, a personal injury attorney, or a litigator is looking for money and they say, what about this money?
1: Well, that's mama's money.
0: That's not going to work because mama's name's not on that bank Mm -mm. account anywhere. So you put the elder, the elder in this case has put themselves at risk by losing control of all their money. In all of our asset protection techniques, the elder is always in charge or always protected until the last possible moment where a transfer may have to be made. But that's the last resort. We're always leaving that elder in control or leaving them them with a, with a trust. As liquid or something. as possible. Exactly. Right. You never have to give up control to think that you need to do that to qualify for Medicaid. There are ways around that and just giving your stuff away to try to get uh, Medicaid eligibility. One, it's a bad idea. Two, it seldom works. Three, you have to, even if you did it and everything worked, you have to get through a five-year look-back period before it has any effect. Right. And then
1: and, if and you didn't get years, through that five
0: years, you've got to hope the child didn't spend all of your money because you're now, you're going to need it when you have to go to the nursing home. Right.
1: And, and I, I have yet to see anybody who gave substantial amounts of money to their children years in advance for any of them to still have that money. Right. And, 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 It is not uncommon in this area for people to come in to do asset protection and they are, well, I gave $50,000 to each of my children three years ago or something like that. And mom needs to go on Medicaid today, today. And so now we've got $150,000 in gifts.
0: That we have to... Try to work around, and sometimes you may not be able to yeah, work around which it, means basically and now mom can't get Medicaid.
1: Yeah, she's going to have to pay $150,000 in for her care before she would qualify. And the children don't have it. They didn't keep it. You know, they used it on their house or for college educations or, you know, it's, it's a generous thing to do. But elders really need to be aware of the implications of making high-value gifts right. late in life.
0: Right. Remember... Tax-free gifts are not Medicaid penalty-free gifts.
1: Yeah, people that's confuse totally that a lot. Things. Those are right. Not you could give new. a
0: gift that's tax-free, but still get you in trouble when you're trying to maintain Medicaid eligibility.
1: You know that five-year lookback period. Right. And even something as simple as I gave my car to my niece, or I gave my car to whatever, or I bought tuition for my grandchild, or something like that. Those are all gifts
0: that could get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, I think there's actually a Supreme Court case out there somewhere. Evan Farr always brings this up. He's a, uh, a colleague of mine from Northern Virginia. In the Supreme Court case, they state that the Medicaid rules are some of the most complicated, arcane, hard to work with rules that are found in government. And that's exactly right. And that's why when you're trying to get a loved one on long-term care Medicaid, please go find an elder law attorney uh, and let them help you through the process. So at least you'll know what all of your options are. You've done your due diligence and you can make smart decisions. One more thing I wanted to talk about, about do it yourself. Uh, And it's not asset protection, but it has to do with powers of attorney. Recently, I saw my first Susie Orman power of attorney. Uh, If you're not familiar with her, Susie Orman has a show. I think it plays on public television uh, on Saturday nights or something like that. And she's always promoting. It's like
1: an infomercial, isn't it? I mean, it's something like that. Yeah.
0: She's promoting her software. Right. Or now I guess everything is cloud based where you can create your own documents and trusts and things like that. Well, I had never seen one. And I think I actually went to the website one time and it was going to buy one, but it was actually more than I wanted to pay just so yeah, I would see. Yeah, I
1: think they're it. like
0: $500. I'm not sure. The cost, I don't know. But, but anyway, I had a client come in and I asked them if they had powers of attorney and they go, sure. And there it was. I knew it was a downloaded form. And I'm like, where did you find this? And they go, Susie Orman. And I said, this is worse than I ever imagined. Oh, really? It was two pages. Oh, no. It was. So our
1: powers of attorney, just for reference, people, our powers of attorney are like 32 pages long, and it gets longer every year because we review it every quarter, and we end up adding something to it.
0: Right. And and what makes people so mad when they have their powers of attorney, and I tell them they really still can't do asset protection with those, is because... There are general grants of authority and specific grants of authority. When people read the clause in a power of attorney that says, I give my agent the power to do virtually anything I could do, they think that covers everything. But there are certain powers in the law that some people call hot powers because they're very powerful. Mm -hmm. And for you, for an agent to have those powers, you have to specifically and explicitly give them those powers. It has to be spelled out. Right. The The two powers we're always looking for primarily are, does the agent have the power to transfer assets out of parent's name? And do they have the power to transfer assets to themselves? Because most of the time, the agent is a child.
1: Right. Self-healing. And so,
0: and so they have to have the power to do that. If they don't have those two powers, they can't do asset protection. And we have to go to court to get the power to do that. Which and means that a could guardianship. Be, that could be four dollars 5000 $6,000. Right. according to what jurisdiction you're in. that's a court
1: case now, as opposed to being able to handle it all privately. Right.
0: So you think you went cheap on finding your power of attorney, but at the end of the day, your loved ones are now going to have to pony up thousands of dollars to potentially do a guardianship or conservatorship to get the power to do what needs to be done. So that's a problem. The other thing that no one thinks about is in almost every power of attorney, a clause is in there where you actually give your agent the power to change beneficiaries and to change the way things are titled at a bank. You don't want to give your agent that power because I can tell you many cases where a power of attorney using that power that was given to them, whether it was unknowingly or not, has then changed the beneficiary of the insurance policy to guess who themselves.
1: I, I had one one time where they changed it to their children, right? Um, which that wasn't what mother's wishes were, right? You know, so so we advise
0: we like advise our clients to one: Do you know who your beneficiaries are? Have you checked it lately? Are they right? Are they the beneficiaries you want? And if so, we say. My agent may not change the beneficiary clause and we make it very prominent in the form. So if they take that form to an insurance company and try to change the beneficiaries, the insurance company is going to see it and that's not going to happen.
1: And and it's not that, you know, every child in the world is likely to change something and do it dishonestly. It's just that if the agent, let's say there's five kids. And the agent makes a change to her child. Well, she just slided all of her sisters out of that. Right. Right. So that's not the point.
0: So (laughs) the point is to
1: let mom's wishes be right. right.
0: After doing this for 25 years, I trust no one. And so (laughs) the paperwork is going to reflect that. And we're going to do everything that we can to protect the elder and to protect the assets, secondly. Do-it-yourself is not for the practice of law.
1: Yeah, it almost always turns out that it costs so much more. Either they don't do their powers of attorney, they don't come in and ask for help, and either they end up in a guardianship, which is thousands and thousands of dollars, a court case, and then on top of that, they have to have court supervision over the conservatorship for moving assets, they have to do accountings and inventories and da-da-da. So that's a whole thing. I, it almost always ends up costing more, sure. and we're not cheap. But it's still, in the long run, it'll cost you more to do we're it by cheap, yourself. We're not cheap, but we're good. Well, that's and we know what
0: we're doing. Uh, we limit ourselves to what we do. We don't hold ourselves out as general practitioners of doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, we don't do divorce. We do we two don't need child
1: support. We don't do anything.
0: And most elder law like attorneys that. are that way. They're very focused on what they do. They're not general practitioners. They're experts in their field. And it's well worth anybody listening to my voice. If you get in any of these situations, look for an elder law attorney. If you're in Virginia, just look for the Virginia Academy of Elder Law Attorneys on the web and you'll be you'll find an attorney locator on there and you can find an elder law attorney near you.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening to us. Remember to like and subscribe this podcast, and that way you will be notified every time that you get there's a new episode. If you have any questions or you want to comment, there is now a new addition to the bottom of the Anchor podcast where you can add your comments. Thank you again. Thank you all. would like to thank our newest sponsor, Crunchy Hydration. They have four light, refreshing flavors, which are matched to each chakra center. Ingredients include amino acids, extracts of green tea, hemp, chamomile, holy basil, and Himalayan salt, nourishing your body while you rehydrate. I really enjoy my crunchy hydration treats, not only because it fits easily into my meal plan, but matches the aging intelligently goal of having a healthy lifestyle with purpose. Crunchy hydration. Mindful hydration that Fuels the brain and uplifts the soul. For 15% off your order, use the code CRICKET15 at CrunchyHydration.com.